Welcome to Beyond Better, a podcast that explores a simple but profound idea. We all deserve to live lives we love, and that includes our work lives too. I'm Stacey Ennis, an author and longtime location-independent entrepreneur living in Portugal with my family of four. Join me as I talk business, location independence, writing, travel, and so much more, all focused on building a life that is beyond better. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here today with Kate Peterson. Kate has a new book coming out that's all about travel and creativity and intentionality in travel and really about being in the moment, experiencing cultures. So I'm really excited to get to talk about travel with Kate today, but I'm also really excited to share Kate's story with you because she is such a wonderful demonstration to me of what hard work and embracing opportunity and believing in your dreams, I think Kate calls it believing in your daydreams, can lead to. And it's a very inspiring story, so I'm really excited to introduce Kate Peterson to you now. Kate is a former academic turned self-taught illustrator and travel addict who has journeyed across Morocco by train overnight, which by the way is not very far from where I live, sipped coffee in Colombia, and gone for a sunrise swim in the South China Sea. She is the author of You're Weird, which has sold more than 200,000 copies, amazing, and sells her prints, cards, and illustrations at katepetersonart.com, which I am the proud owner of several of those pieces. She is originally from Bozeman, Montana. She now lives in Boise, Idaho, my hometown, with her husband and dog, and jumps at the chance to travel whenever she can. Welcome, Kate. I'm so excited to speak with you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, I want to start by hearing a bit about your backstory before we jump into all of your current endeavors, including your book. Because to me, you, as I mentioned at the opening of, of this episode, you have such a cool story. And as we discussed before we hit record, um, I think we could hit the highlights of your story and say, wow, she had so many cool opportunities that led to the success. But I know, having known you for quite some time, the dedication, hard work, drive, uh, stick-to-itiveness, and all these things that kind of brought you to where you are today. So if you wouldn't mind, anchor me back to actually your childhood, because I know that there was there was uh, some influence by your dad that led you to love travel. And take me to today in this thriving business as an artist and author and world experiencer that you have today. <laughs> yes, I am quite the world experiencer. Um, <laughs> yeah, so going back to my childhood, um, I was raised in Bozeman, Montana, um, but I was lucky enough to have a dad who worked in study abroad. So my dad was actually the head of uh, the study abroad program at our local university, which meant that much of his job was traveling to places uh, to set up sister relationships with foreign universities um, that would allow for a student exchange. And um, one of the coolest things about that is uh, he would end up going to a specific place multiple times to set that up. So there were almost like little mini eras of his travel when I was growing up. So there was an era where he was going to Japan really a lot. And then there was an era where he was going to Morocco really a lot. 
And I think that that um, from an early age, I was not only just so fascinated with travel, right? Because he'd bring back these really cool little, like an origami crane or something that would just like totally blow my mind because I'd never seen anything like it before. Um, so not only that aspect of it, but then also the value of really getting to know a place better uh, instead of just going once. Um, and that is something that has really stuck with me now as a traveler, as an adult. Um, so yeah, that was what my dad did when I was growing up. And um, he was also very much a part of academic life because he was in the university world and my dad has a PhD in philosophy. So he's a very intellectual kind of philosophical guy. And um, I grew up feeling like academics was probably where I would land as well. I really loved school as a kid. It was kind of my whole world all through um, high school and college and and all of that. And I just assumed that I would be a professor. Um, And when I got done with college, Uh, I had the chance to go and live in Greece for a year because I got a grant to teach English there for 10 months, which was just, I mean, it changed my entire life. It was an unbelievable experience. And um, it was kind of my first time being away from the uh, the role of student, right? Because up until that point, like that had been my entire life. And um, I had just an unbelievable experience of traveling the whole country and because my grant actually had restrictions on on when I could leave the country and how much. So that provided a huge incentive to like see the entire country as much as I could. So I really traveled all over. Um, And then after that, I went back to Boise and started grad school because that was what I assumed would come next for me, right, if I'm on this sort of academic track. And when I got to grad school, I don't know if it was the independence of being abroad or what, but all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I do not know if this is what I want to do forever. Um, And I got some great advice from a professor who, you know, I asked him if he thought that I should keep going, especially because the job market for um, professorships is, you know, kind of, kind of uh, difficult. And um, and what he said was, if you aren't 100% sure that this is what you want to do for the rest of your life, then I wouldn't recommend it. And if you are 100% sure, it's going to be worth it. So stick with it. Um, but I was really surprised to find out that I wasn't 100% sure. I think being abroad had kind of opened up this, um, this independence in me that made me kind of question whether that was what I wanted to do and made me think about what I really wanted to do. And uh, when I was a kid, the first thing I'd ever said I wanted to be was an artist. And I loved drawing. It was kind of an escape that I uh, that I would turn to, you know, when when school was really hard. And so finally, I started to sort of entertain that idea of um, of exploring that, even though there's this whole cultural narrative that says, like, you know, you'll be a starving artist and you won't make it and all of this stuff. Um, I decided to to start going for it. So that's that's kind of how I got started on my on my path and started veering away from academia. So much of that resonates with me because um, when I graduated from undergrad, I took two years off to go live abroad. We lived in the Dominican Republic in, in Vietnam. And when I left, I thought I was going to potentially study rhetoric, which would put me on a professorship track as well. 
But it was more not because I was actually interested in becoming a professor, um, because honestly, I wasn't really. It was that I didn't know what to do with what <laughs> I love to do professionally, yes. you know? Yes, totally. And that's a big challenge for creative people in how do I... And, and I guess the other piece of it is there's this other narrative. So you mentioned the starving artist. There's this other narrative that you're a bad artist if you make money from your art, if you if you have a business connected to your art. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's especially challenging, too, if you were a good student in school and school was like kind of your world. Um, I think it can be really challenging to sort of unlearn some of those good student habits and start to listen to what you want and not kind of just keep chasing that gold star of what other people want for you. Um, so that was I think that's been a huge part of my journey, too. Yeah, that so connects. And that that's that kind of outward in like, I this is what the world says I should be doing or is a good and noble path for a person like me. I, I that all connects and I'm sure that there are people listening that that really resonates with or maybe they're even in that moment right now of feeling that pull to go do something creative but but seeing it as a deviation from what they've been taught or what they've been kind of trained to want to do. Absolutely. I, I think that's something that I've really had to to work on over the years. I mean, and not even it's not even about like learning to say yes to those polls at first. I think it's even about learning to figure out what your polls are and what the like actual genuine polls that you are truly feeling are so that then you can listen to them and then say yes to them. So it's this whole huge process, I think. So tell me a bit about the work you did after that, because I know that you not only did you decide to go, you know, pursue your art, but you became a self-taught artist. You were working full time, I think, at the library. Is that right? And is that correct? Am I remembering this correctly? Part-time at the library. I had a full-time non nonprofit job first, um, and then I was able to slowly kind of step down from that to part-time, and then and then now I, I do what I do full-time. Um, but yes, I was at the library for my part-time job. So how did that all work for you? How did you, um, what, was, what was that like for you, building in those early years? Yeah, it's funny. I, um, so again, I really thought I was going to be an academic and I didn't think I was going to be a creative. But even more than that, I had no idea that I would be a, a business person or entrepreneur. Um, that's not something that is common in my family. Um, and because both my parents had very established jobs. And uh, but looking back, I mean, even as a kid, my parents lived next to this trailhead in uh, Bozeman, Montana's wildly popular trailhead. And like I had this little group of friends and we set up a lemonade stand and we made bank, you know, um, and and then also we like started like making things and selling those there as well. So I feel like I've always had this like little entrepreneurial streak that I didn't really entertain for a very long time. And also, I think, too, what you said um, earlier about the narrative about uh, artists who make money from their art are, are bad artists, I think that's that can be very um, that can be a very damaging narrative at first, too. And I think, too, there's this sort of stereotype of like the Etsy artist, right, who's um, who maybe is a little more crafty and uh, 
I don't know, you get this sort of like used car salesman vibe from that whole stereotype and narrative. And that's definitely not what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to come off that way. So I think it was a long time before I really realized that you could do this in a way that was actually very professional and felt good. Um, and wasn't didn't feel that sort of like used car salesman, like pushing, pushing, pushing vibe all the time. Um, so yeah, those early years, I, I worked really, really hard. Um, when I first started my business, it was, uh, because a friend of mine had really kind of pushed me into it. We were looking at some pieces that I had hung on the wall in our house that I had made just drawing in my off hours from my full-time job that I disliked at the time and was kind of unhappy at. And, uh, he was looking at them and he pulled out his wallet and handed me a $20 bill and said, okay, I want prints of these two, if that's what it's going to take to get you to do this. And, um, something sort of just clicked. So I started, I took my stuff down to the local print shop, kind of tucked into its little portfolio. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And, uh, they walked me through the whole process and of getting my stuff, uh, printed. And then I started an Etsy shop. That was the first thing I did. And then I started pursuing relationships with local stores uh, as a next kind of uh, step. And all the while, I was working really hard at growing an Instagram following, which uh, don't ask me how to do that now because it has completely changed since then. Like the algorithm has changed. Everything about it has changed since Facebook now bought it. Um, but at the time, what I was doing really worked. So I ended up with a pretty good sized Instagram audience. And I think that was one of the important building blocks, like what you're talking about, of laying the groundwork uh, and so I did that. I started doing some shows and little by little, everything added up to the point where uh, I had the opportunity to be noticed online. Um, and that was how I got my first book deal. But it was very much about like building each piece of it, each brick in place until I was at the point where I could be noticed, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely does. And you know, I'm not going to let you skip over that, um, that noticed story, because I love this story. But I want to preface before you share the story that, I mean, you gave us a little blip into the work time fear you overcame in not knowing how to do the thing, the relationships that you, you know, stepped probably outside your comfort zone to form, all of that learning, growing dedication outside of your full time job the work you put into your Instagram profile. I don't think that we talk about that stuff enough. So I just want to really emphasize that first before I ask you to tell one of my favorite stories about publishing contracts. So can you now tell that story? I'd love to share that with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you, by the way. That's very nice of you to say. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, uh, I had made this coloring book. Um, and it was partly inspired by the fact that at the time, adult coloring books were having a moment. And I really loved that they were having a moment because one of my kind of secret whys behind my business is trying to get adults thinking like kids again and doing kid things because I think so often we tell ourselves that we have to do adult things. But I think kid things can be really healthy for adults. So I loved that uh, there was this movement happening that was getting adults coloring. So I was like, OK, I'm going to make something that will speak to that and encourage that. So I made this coloring book 
And uh, it was called You're Weird, and it was full of monsters. And if you looked at it, it really was. I mean, it. a lot of people, actually, I got some bad reviews from people who were like, this isn't for adults. This is way too silly. And I was like, oh, but you need this more than anyone. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so I made this coloring book, and I worked very hard to get it to the first page of search results on Etsy when you searched for adult coloring book. And anyone who's ever sold on Etsy knows that SEO on Etsy is like, it's this, it's the white whale of, uh, <laughs> of trying to get your work out there. It's really complicated and kind of mysterious, but I managed to make it happen. And um, so the coloring book was selling really well, which was great. And then because it was so, um, because I think this is how this happened. I think it's that because adult coloring books were having such a moment, there was an editor from Penguin, uh, an imprint called Tartar Perigi, who was going on Etsy and searching for adult coloring books and seeing what was out there and if there was anything that could then be optioned into a book. And because I had worked so hard to get my listing on the first page of results, it was placed for this person to find it. So one day I was at my part-time job at the library because uh, at this point the business was doing well enough that I had stepped away from a full-time job and was then working part-time and then doing my, my side hustle. And um, it was about like 7.30 p.m. So it was like dead quiet in the library, one of those night shifts where, you know, there's like one guy frantically studying for whatever test he's got coming up. And uh, I checked my email and there was this email and the subject line was penguin editor reaching out. And it was like time sort of stopped, right? And it's dead quiet in the library. And so I reach forward and I click on this email. And sure enough, it's, uh, it's my now editor um, who sent me an email saying that she had seen the coloring book on Etsy and wondered if I ever wanted to turn it into a book length project. And at this point, I had to um, sort of try to say in like professional speak, like, oh my gosh, of course, obviously, yes, holy cow, right? Uh, so I wrote back this very professional sounding email that was something like, thank you so much for reaching out. Uh, I would be very interested in speaking, interested in speaking about this with you further. Um, so yeah, that's how that all started. And it is crazy because I... There is definitely some luck involved. Like I know that I'm incredibly lucky uh, to have had this happen, but that you're right that there were so many building blocks that like put that moment in place where it could happen. The thing about your story that I love, again, hard work set you in that place, but also this person was intentionally looking for somebody like you and you were there. You had done the work to be there. So I love it. Your first, by the way, I own a copy of your original coloring book and your <laughs> later published book, You're Weird, and both are awesome, and I loved the monsters. I colored the monsters myself, and I had a lot of fun, even as a grown-up, so Yay. I, I want to talk about your, your latest book, uh, which is called Around the World and Back Again. And the reason that we're talking today, because you have this awesome new travel journal that is so super fun. It's not only really thoughtful and has wonderful prompts in it to help people capture their experiences and their 
their wishes for future travel and, and their memories from travel they've completed. Um, but also it's beautifully illustrated, of course, because you're an artist. And it also has some really good ideas, fun checklists of foods. You know, I think there's one on of uh, desserts to try around the world and things like that. So yeah. it is so fun. I love this book and anyone who loves to travel should absolutely get a copy and fill it out front to back. I want to hear your inspiration story because I'm in Portugal right now. I live here and your inspiration has to do with Portugal. So can you share your your inspiration for writing this book? Yes. So um, it actually it starts a little ways back, right? Because I so I had published Your Weird, which was amazing and an unbelievable experience. And um, I think we don't talk enough in our field about like what comes next. So you've done the big thing, right? And then what do you do? Um, and I knew I really wanted to make another book because making books, I just, I love it so much. And I have a master's in literature. And so it's like where all of my things that I love to do kind of converge. Um, and so I knew I wanted to make another one, but I think a lot of times uh, in our field, we get sort of pressured to brand ourselves on one kind of topic, right? And I absolutely loved making your weird. Individuality is so important to me, but I didn't really want that to be my thing, if that makes sense. Um, and I was feeling a little bit of weirdness <laughs> on this topic because... Um, it, I don't know, it made me feel like I needed to do something else on that topic or like jump off of your weird in a way to get a second book deal, which I really wanted. And so I kept trying to come up with ideas for what it would be. And it just, it was not working. Like there wasn't an idea connected to your weird that was something that I really wanted to make next. What I really wanted to make was a travel journal, but that felt so out of left field that I wasn't sure if it would fly but I was so drawn to this idea that I spent the time to make sample pages anyway, just to see what would happen. So I had drawn these sample pages um, and I was sitting on them uh, just scared out of my mind to pitch them to my editor because I was pretty sure she was going to say no and I really wanted to make this thing. Um, and then we were on our way to Portugal because <laughs> uh, my husband and I love to travel. Uh, it's our, probably our favorite thing to do. And uh, we had booked this trip to Portugal, and it was at the point where there were, there had been headlines about COVID in China for a little bit, and there were just starting to be headlines about COVID in Italy. So that's where we were at when this trip was scheduled to take place. Uh, there really wasn't very much documented cases in Portugal. And again, none of us at this point knew what a huge thing this was going to be that was going to really take over the world. So we were on our way on this trip and uh, we were standing in JFK at like 9 p.m. or something like that. And we're waiting for our flight to board to London and then we would fly from London to Portugal. And uh, we're an hour from boarding. And all of a sudden, my phone just starts like blowing up like crazy. And so I look down and um, one of the texts is from my mom. And Trump had just issued the European travel ban, which meant 
And it was really garbled. Like, we didn't really know what it meant. And even the people in the airport were like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> what does this mean? Um, and it was extra complicated because the UK wasn't on the original list. So, like, we could have gone and gotten on that flight to London and stayed in London and then come home. But we were like, what if we get caught there? Like, we want to be able to get back to our home country, obviously. So after a whole bunch of sort of trying to figure this out and sort of trying to parse the meaning of this travel ban and everything, we decide, okay, we're going to we're going to do the right thing here. We're going to play it safe. We're going to pull our bags from the flight and not go. Uh, so we pulled our bla- our bags and we made our way to just the saddest little hotel beside JFK. I was really morale was very low at this point. And we're like, okay, we'll we'll have a New York trip. Like this will be great. We'll we'll go see plays. We'll go to restaurants. And of course, we all see where this is going at this point, right now, knowing what we do. It's cue um, the dramatic music. I think yeah. right now. <laughs> and of course, like we had no idea that New York was about to be the epicenter for the epidemic in the U.S. as well. So looking back, I mean, we were just unbelievably lucky at every turn in this story. Um, We also made some really good decisions, but we were incredibly lucky. So we stay in New York and we find what we're now calling the Apocalypse Special, which was a hotel, a four star hotel in Midtown for $80 a night. Uh, So we go down and we're like staying in this hotel. And the first thing that happened was Broadway shut down. And that was when I started to go, this is making me really nervous. And like maybe a day later it was to the point where like we went to go to Trader Joe's to get some snacks to take back to the hotel room and like the freezer aisles were like totally cleaned out and there was like a line all the way back to the store back to the back of the store and um we at that point we were like okay it's time to go home so we hightailed it back to Boise and uh, quarantined for two weeks because at that point we then knew that it was everywhere in New York and miraculously neither one of us uh, got sick which is pretty amazing Um, again hindsight we would do this all differently now that we know you know what has happened with COVID Uh, but you know we collectively as a nation realized that this was about to really take over everything at the time that we were already in New York uh, trying to figure all this out. So um, we came back and uh, right a a ways after that, um, I was still sitting on these sample pages for this travel journal. And um, my husband was a bartender at this great local bar. And as happened to so many service workers during the pandemic, he was laid off. And he has a side hustle as a recording engineer. And we were like, okay, so it is time for you to go full time with this side hustle. Uh, Why don't you just like jump in to the deep end of the pool there without your floaties on? We'll figure this out. And at that point, I was like, okay, it is no longer responsible for me as a like partner in managing this household to be like sitting on these sample pages and not pitch them. Uh, So that was kind of how I got over my fear of pitching the second book um, was after this like pretty harrowing travel experience, um, trying to get to Portugal and then having to end up coming home and uh, just missing travel so much that it hurt right at that point into the pandemic and still I mean at this point. But I I was missing travel so much, uh, especially after being so close to being able to go on a big adventure and then not being able to. 
and then realizing that it was time to to make this happen uh, as Nate was laid off, that it was time to go kind of chase this this next book deal. And so I finally got over my fear and I pitched my sample pages and a week later I had my second book deal. <laughs> so just a good lesson to like not listen to your fear um, and go for the thing that you really want uh, because it's probably way less of a big deal than you think it is. <laughs> well, it, it's so funny to me how many of us need those pushes, you know, that you had these pages that probably would have secured this deal earlier. But then at the same time, maybe upon reflection, the time was perfect. Who knows? I guess. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, or at least we think it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I love absolutely. that story. So I wanted to read a, um, a short excerpt from your book, uh, a section or paragraph that I loved. I swiped it from your marketing materials. And it's... Um, <laughs> It's it's a really powerful statement on travel. So I'm going to read that for listeners now. You write, travel shakes you out of the steady medium of your everyday routine and creates room for highs and lows, for intense new flavors and surprising sights, for experiences that are unpredictable and vivid and extraordinary. It connects you to people and places outside your normal and expands your definition of it forever. And that's exactly why it's so good for us and so good for the world. Now that for me really resonated. I like you, I I didn't grow up in Montana, but I grew up in Idaho and I know you spent, I think you spent part of your childhood also in, in Boise, correct? So you were kind of between both. No, just Bozeman. I ended up coming to Boise for grad school um, and stayed because it's great. So, <laughs> Well, and in many ways, I, I think of those as kind of similar places. I yeah. know they're different. There's more wild, I would say, in Bozeman than there is in Boise. But um, growing up in, in, in Idaho, in a landlocked state that doesn't have a big international airport, for me, when I started traveling in my 20s, I, I changed as a person really at my core. And it wasn't that I changed my personality or, you know, my values, but well, I guess I would say some of my values did shift because there was, I had a really limited mindset and limited view of the world before I got to immerse myself in it and really deeply connect with other cultures. You know, having experiences like feeling the Haiti earthquake. We lived in the Dominican Republic during the Haiti earthquake Mm -hmm. and getting to really um, connect with with different cultures when we lived in Thailand and Vietnam and now in Portugal. I mean, there is so much that travel gifts you, I would Mm -hmm. say. And and for me, I feel that uh, my everyday life here in Portugal is heightened. I have even two years in, different experiences, different um, different sensory experiences, things that I see, smell, hear, taste. And that, to me, makes me more alert, alive, and creative. And so I, I love this because I think there is this really beautiful connection between travel and creativity. As a writer, I can say that. And I'm curious to know... As an artist, a visual artist, and you know, draw, drawing. How would you describe that? Visual artist, I guess. And yeah, I, that's fine. Illustrator is usually what I use, but there's there's a whole there's a whole little packet of words we could use there, so <laughs> they're all valid. <laughs> well, as an illustrator, how does travel feed your creativity? How does it impact your creativity? 
Oh boy, that's a great question. I feel like creativity is really about what happens when you like zoom out a little bit. Because until you zoom out on looking at something, you're really only seeing it for what it is, right? Kind of at face value. But if you're able to zoom out a little bit, that's where you can gain some perspective on it and think about other elements that you might bring into it or things you might compare it to or sort of like metaphorical um, concepts that you might imply with it or whatever it is that you that you're thinking of doing. Um, and we can't see that until we get a little bit of a new perspective on it. Um, if that makes sense. I don't know if that made sense at all. (laughs) Um, but travel is very much the same. Travel is like a means to get that new perspective. For me, travel is a way to zoom out and see things from a different, larger perspective and from a different viewpoint. And so to me, it's almost like travel is the ultimate way to do that, that creativity process that I was just talking about, where it allows you to see things from a totally new perspective. And that to me is where I feel the most creative is in that space where I'm looking at things from a totally different point of view than I ever have before. So I think travel is the single most inspiring thing that I can do for my creativity. Um, And we've actually, we've found this uh, when it's time, when I'm making a new book, uh, the process that we've settled into as a household is my husband and I, once it's like off and running and it's time for me to come up with 160 page ideas, uh, which is quite the task. It's super fun, but it's it's a lot. Uh, What we do is we go on a little like weekend trip somewhere else. Um, And, you know, this time around with the pandemic, it had to be McCall because we couldn't go further than that. But something about being in a new place, it's like the ideas just start firing. And every time I leave that weekend trip with a list of like 200 plus page ideas, Um, because something about getting out of your daily routine allows you to again do that zooming out and see things from a different perspective that allows you to come up with the ideas that you need. I love that and I I often refer with my coaching clients I refer that to this as intentional discomfort it's like you're putting yourself in a situation that is maybe a little uncomfortable because they're with travel especially if you're traveling internationally there's the the plane rides and the you know new language and trying to figure out where to get food and you know get any groceries you need there's all of those discomforts but they make you more alive and then i think the other piece of that that when i look at you and the success you've had i think there's a pairing between that going away broad view and then the habits that you've formed to then execute and do the work and get it done Yeah, absolutely. I kind of have this little like how I term my creative process in my head is go out and then go in. So we talked about the going out part, right, where I have to like leave my everyday surroundings in order to have the ideas that I need. But then once I have those ideas, I like retreat inward in this way where it's like it feels like the entire world is like me and my drawing chair. (laughs) And I have like very specific like there's a candle that I have that's like the same scent. So it like fires up that sort of creative sense just by habit. Um, And I have like my little blanket and everything. And then that is like pretty much my world while I'm executing these ideas. So yeah, it is, uh, it's that sort of go out and then go inward as much as you possibly can to actually execute the ideas, at least for me. 
When I'm writing a book, I refer to it as my writer's cave, and it's kind of the same for you, but your illustrator and writer's cave, right? You yes, just go into yes. it. And I don't like to talk about my work. I don't want to have any casual conversations about it. I don't yeah. want to, you know, it's like, I don't want anything else other than just me and the work. And then once I have the first draft done, that's when I'm really excited to get uh, intentionally sought feedback. So not from everyone, but it, you know, some handpicked people that I can trust. Yeah, it's hard. I feel like creative things like that are very precious. And sometimes you're so excited about it that you lose sight of that and you like blurt it out and share it with somebody who, you know, doesn't have, uh, maybe wasn't like in the mindset to give the best possible feedback. And then it's like your precious thing is sort of, uh, shoved out into the world, right? So I totally relate to that. I'm, I'm trying to get better about not talking about what I'm working on uh, or what's really precious to me because it can be it can be challenging if you then have to sort of like bring it back to yourself. Yeah, well, your work's so fun. Of course you want to talk about it. I mean, you're always <laughs> working on such cool stuff. Okay, so one last question for you. So one of the things that I coach my future author clients through is this idea of an ideal reader and having them envision what that reader, how that reader is going to interact with their books. My clients, the people, my students are writing, you know, nonfiction books. So they're not illustrating in the way that you are. It's a different experience. But I ask them to go through this process of watching their reader interact with their their book and their expression, their a feeling that you can tell they're engaged with the work. And for them, and for me, when I work on a new book, it's a, that's a really powerful experience. I'm curious for you, as you envisioned your potential reader or journaler, how did you, how do you hope that this person will engage with this labor of love and talent that you've created? I love that question. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. So there's a lot in the book that's meant for planning future travels because I wanted I wanted to design a book for the person who is a traveler by nature, not just a traveler, you know, when they're on vacation, the person who can't stop thinking about their next trip, who always has their next adventure in mind. Um, and I wanted to plan fun things for that person to do at every stage of thinking about a trip. So there's pages that ask you to reflect on past trips. Um, there are pages for while you're out and about in the world, you know, pages where you can observe what's happening around you at a cafe or at a park or um, at the market. And then there's also pages for planning uh, future trips. So um, it really is designed for people to engage with travel at all points on their sort of trajectory of taking a trip, which is great for right now where we all can't travel very much. Um, there's lots of spaces for planning future travel. But what I say in the intro of the book is absolutely true, which is there's a sentence in there, something about how like, I hope you take this book all over the world with you and like spill chimichurri sauce on it and Argentina and Cantonese uh, wonton noodle soup on it. And that is very much what I envisioned for this book. I almost, <laughs> I kind of want to have a contest of like most beat up copy, like who can destroy theirs the most while they're out in the world and, you know, getting churro fry oil on it or whatever else. Um, clearly, I imagine people eating while they're filling this out. Apparently, I'm learning that now as I'm talking about this. But um, yeah, I really want people to dig in deep and take their copies all over the world with them and just um, allow it to really be a window into that deep dive travel uh, 
that you and I love so much and that, you know, anyone who's really gotten to know a place, you kind of get addicted to it. And I want this book to fuel that for people. Oh, love, love, love. Kate, you've created something really special. I hope that listeners will go order a copy now. Can you tell people where to learn more about you and where to get your book? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to www.katepeterson.art. That is the best place. That's my website. And you can order signed copies there. Actually, at the time of recording, too, I just designed um, a new collection of pieces that go with the book. So there's some really gorgeous new prints and um, fun stuff. And I'm actually, uh, so one of the one of the challenges with the book was I wanted to just fill it with content as much as possible, but that doesn't leave as much room for writing as I would like. So I um, just designed some notebooks that go with the book too, that provide kind of like an overflow uh, space for if you have other things that you really want to explore further. Um, So yeah, that is where you can find all of that stuff. And I hope you love it. Well, I know where I'm going to be shopping after this discussion. I'll be at at your website ordering these (laughs) awesome things. Thank you so much for your time and congratulations on your second book that I am sure will be a huge hit and well-loved by so many travelers. Thank you so much, Stacey. It's been a pleasure to chat about it with you. I really appreciate it. This podcast is produced by me, Stacey Ennis. Special thanks to Daniel Alexander for sound editing and Katherine Fishman for project support. These two make the show possible, and I'm grateful. You can always access show notes, including any links mentioned in this episode, at stacyennis.com podcast. And you can connect with me at stacyennis.com, on Instagram at stacyennis, or on Facebook at stacyenniscreative. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Here's to building lives that are beyond better.